It's Sunday, if you're listening to us on the radio. Uh, it could be any other time, anywhere, if you're listening to us elsewhere, obviously. But anyway, it's kind of Sunday. It's definitely midday, maybe. But you're absolutely listening to the Radio Bookworm on BavRadioInternational.com. And I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... Nympha Hayes. You can find us, as always, on Twitter, as, ra- on ra- as Radio Bookworm. You can find us on Facebook, as Radio Bookworm. You can find us on Tumblr, as Radio Bookworm. You can find us on Mixcloud, as Radio Bookworm. You can find us on iTunes. You can also find us... Probably anywhere else. Just Google you know, us. Use Google. Um, the station also has its social media, Fab Radio International. We're on Twitter as Fab Radio Int, and we're on Facebook as Fab Radio International. Just type in Fab Radio International dot com as the constant trailers, or as you're listening to the show, telling you. Okay. So coming up on the show, I will be reviewing the latest Robin Hobb book. Yes. Robin Hobb has written another book, and if I drop it on my foot, I will break it. It's called <laughs> Fool's Assassin, and it's great. Uh, what are you reviewing? Uh, I'm reviewing um, Guilty Pleasures by um, Laura K. Hamilton. Vampire porn. Yay. Actually, not this one. No, it's not the first one, isn't it? Is it? Nope. Not for a while, dear. But we'll talk about that later. We will. Coming up next, we have some book news. This is Fab Radio International. Embrace the alternative. This, this is Fab Radio International. Okay, so um, the, the top news story uh, for us certainly is that Exhibit A in Strange Chemistry, imprints of uh, Osprey Publishing's Angry Robot publisher, um, are closing. Boo! Boo! I love Strange Chemistry. Uh, for those who don't know it, it's a young adult imprint. Um, it's, it, it, it's Amanda Rutter, who is awesome. We're big fans of it. It's absolutely fantastic titles. Gobsmacked. Um, Kim Curran's book, Delete, uh, for the Shifter series, it was due to be published. Um, I don't know what's happening with that, to be honest. I think it's still going to get published under the Angry Robot yeah. thing. I hope so, because... The, the last two books were great. I mean, they they did okay. I thought. I thought they did. You know, I thought they. Did I, I thought. I mean, they had some smashing titles and a really tight team of of really really talented people. And I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm gobsmacked. I, I did not see that coming. I have to admit, it was for me. I didn't get a chance to review as many as I'd liked. I, mm. I did a handful compared to. Well, I'm kind of hoping that they'll still have the box under Angry Robots so that. You know, they're not just going to fall off the radar and or hopefully be picked up somewhere else. I mean, I didn't read any of the Exhibit A stuff. Of the Strange Chemistry stuff that I did read, I enjoyed. Mm. Um, th- there are so many books out there that you don't get a chance to, to review all of them. And obviously you have to kind of, you have to go for the ones that everyone really wants to hear about. And then you have to go for the ones that you think everyone really wants to hear about. And then you try and do as many of the smaller press ones as you can. Yeah. But Strange Chemistry aren't. Um, aren't really small press that you know angry robot are pretty large it's just surprising it's such a such a shock that they've they've had to close ranks this way and you know i mean everyone everyone online's been really really supportive about it but um no further titles will be published from the new imprints uh the publisher has added that its own call list is robust and its plans to up its output from the two from two to three books a month so that kind of assumes that they're gonna you know Introduce more 
kind of slightly more young adult focus yeah. books. Maybe what they're doing is maybe they're going to just say this is a science fiction novel uh, rather than this is a young adult science fiction novel. Mm. I, I, don't, I have nothing against that. The, the thing is, the, the thing I liked about the difference between Angry Robot and Strange Chemistry was I have come to expect from Angry Robot a level of... Hard sci-fi is not quite the word I'm looking for. Technologically innovative sci-fi, I think, is is what I'm looking for. I, I just I, I, I want it to, uh, you know I want it to be a little bit. Um, I expect it to be on the edge of our technological understanding. So if you look at something like VN hmm. or Nexus, there, there's references to modern technologies and a learned understanding as to where they're going forward. Whereas Kim Karan's stuff is just good sci-fi fun and I don't have to think too much about reading you know back issues of New Scientist it I, I kind of you know and I like that easy distinction as well I think I think that the, the point where perhaps we should concentrate is the fact that both you know Angry Robot and you know Strange Commentary and the smaller imprints within Angry Robots still produced outstanding books and hopefully that's going to continue whether strange chemistry is going ahead as a separate heading or you know whether angry robots going to take over and just unify everything under the same imprint so you know keep up the good work guys i think we're going to make more of an effort to be honest personally i think we're going to make more of an effort to try and focus on stuff like say kim Kran's stuff and the yeah sort of, i mean we're, we're very young adult friendly anyway as, as oh as yeah i love young more. adult stuff um we're not a young adult show. We're, we're a cool book show. It's just that you know the the cutting edge seems to be in the young adult area, and why shouldn't it be? Uh, talking of talking of a popular young adult author, see that segue there. Mm-hmm. Very clever. Um, J.K. Rowling, under the name of Robert Galbraith, has a new book, um, The Silk Web. It's coming yep. out. It's published by Hatchet. Yes, it's quite definitely not young adult. No, her new book isn't. No, she's famous for being. She is. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hypothesis is she the person that started this whole trend that's an interesting question it's a mix of several elements I thought to be fair I thought young adult as a big trend was more and you know don't hate me uh, was more a twilight kind of thing not the sparkly vampires (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean I've always heard um, the Harry Potter series referred to as children's book that then became an adult passion as well, never as a young adult. I remember back in the 80s and 90s uh, with the movie Gremlins. Oh, they, God. They, they, they had the problem with Gremlins with the fact that they made it at 15 and then they, they wanted it to be open to kids because it had appealed to kids. So they created the 12 certificate. Mm. And But Gremlins remained at 15. And I think that Harry Potter was kind of the, if you say, kind of the Gremlins. It was the, the one that they went, oh, well, we haven't quite got a proper definition for this because it's grown up with the reader, so it's no longer children, it's something else. And then when Twilight came out, they were like, right, no, we're, we're prepared for this phenomenon now. Yeah. Mm. So but this it, is what's yeah. going to... Is, is it not the thing with um, Harry Potter um, that she sort of wrote it to, as you just hinted out, to develop with the child, with the yeah. reader? So I think that if you sort of look at book one and look at book seven, the vocabulary gets more advanced oh, and themes get more advanced and all that absolutely. sort of stuff as it goes on. Uh, but I mean, as an author, do you sit down and go, hmm, today I shall write a young adult book that will appeal to the following demographic or do you just sit down and write the story that's in your head? I, I, and it well, just it, it turns out it's whoever it appeals to, whoever yeah. it appeals to. As I understand it from talking to certain authors, it depends ultimately on the author. 
but certainly quite a few authors will sit there and go, I'm writing this book and I'm it's keeping children in mind. So Frances Harding, for example, uh, doesn't sit down and go, I'm going to write a children's book. She write, goes, I'm going to go and write a book. And then she goes, if I take this out and this out, then more children can read it, so I'll do that. Um, and it's that sort of... It's a process as, as opposed to mm. a conscious... But there are authors that will sit down and go, I want to write a young adult book because I've got this idea and I think that's where it's going to go. I don't do that. I mean, whenever I write, it's mostly a, okay, this is the story... And then after that, and after the edits, I'll, you know, my publisher will go, uh, actually, I, I would call this a young adult or a new adult or, or just mm. an adult. What's a new adult? New adult is sort of like more towards sort of the end of the teens and beginning of the 20s. Oh, okay. okay. Um, it's a new thing. Yes. Again, mm. it's, it's sort of like the last couple of years, you'll find new adult. And it's basically, you know, someone that's just past the teenage years, those 20s where you, you're, you're just, you know, considered an adult, uh, but your experience is still very limited. Uh, it's mostly a sort of a contemporary sort of tag, um, as far as I can see. But I think it's seeping through the paranormal and, and more sort of um, magical um, area lately. Uh, I mean, kind of also going around the to- topic, I can remember talking to Dead Star Publishing, who are a small press publisher, and they had a book called Sun Carla. I remember talking to the author, and the author was like, this, this, is, this is perfect for, 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 for young adults, this is perfect for teenagers. And I read it, and I went, no, it's not, because it's got a lot of things, it's got a lot of things that teenagers do and say, shall we say. And it's got a lot of things that teenagers do and say whilst they're turning into adults mm. without giving away any of the plot points. <laughs> and thus it is utterly unsuitable for any mainstream publisher because they want to appeal to, as far as they're concerned, young adult is, you know, 12 to, to, to 18 sort of thing, range. Whereas I'd, his I'd say more sort of 14 to 18. Mm. Before but, 14, you're still classed sort of up to 12, but 13... But they have to appreciate that f- that, that an, a, an older 12-year-old will read it. Mm-hmm. So there are certain things you will never find in a young adult book. There are certain activities you will never find in a young adult book. Mm-hmm. He said being very mm-hmm. careful to, to keep it's, this in Again, it. it's a not trend that, that you'll find is, is not there because I can... I can nominate you right now a, a series of book that is classed as a young adult and has very adult sins in it. In fact, there's a disclaimer at the front that says parental guidance. But that's mm. that's the thing. The thing is, is that as a, a mainstream publisher will look at that and go... It's um, a mainstream book. No, no, a mainstream publisher will look at that and decide that that's a risk. They might decide to take that risk, mm. um, but it's still a marketing risk. Uh, the example I'm giving with the sun color, the guy turned around and basically went... Could get a better publisher, or I could keep the, what I wanted in there. Yeah. And he kept. Well, I think it was a mistake, to be honest. I think he should have taken. He should have torn it down. Yeah. And maybe put a disclaimer on the front, as he said. Yeah. And I think that I think he would have done better commercially. But you know, that's what he wanted. So that's what he wanted. So do do books need ratings? I dabble in the world of fanfic, mm. where the two major sites for fanfic publishing have a rating system, and it's it's self certification you look at what you've written and go i think it falls into this category yeah. and they have like guidance for you as to which kind of it comes into some some of them do but there's also a thing with books where because of the level of effort you have to make to enter into an oral 
you kind of you can put it down you can't stop mm. and it's it's not the same as you can just turn off the screen no no you've seen that you've seen that horrible thing whereas in most cases you can see it coming you know what's going to happen next he's just taking his pants off you can, you know, you can, <laughs> you, you can stop or drawing the knife um, you know you can stop uh, and okay it's a fine line and okay there's a whole there's a whole thing there but yeah, I think books, I think most, especially a lot of books, do give you enough warning. And we've gone completely off the top. Yes, do we need to get back to book news? <laughs> Very quickly. Uh, it, 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 short version, um, Amazon are making it hard for you to get your hands on the latest J.K. Rowling, even though she's writing on someone else, because they're still arguing with a French publisher. Um, um, say it with me, everyone. Support your local bookstore. Mm-hmm. Uh, as much as you can, uh, even if you can't be bothered to walk around there, phone them and they will post it to they you. They will. They absolutely will. Um, support your local bookstore. Support your local bookstore. You have no excuse. Shall we, shall we get on with the rest of the show? Yes. Yay. So I was very lucky to get my hands on the latest book by the world-famous and the highly well-regarded author Margaret Astrid Lindham Ogden. Who? Robin Hobb, for everyone. <laughs> um, Robin Hobb. It's a, it's, we, can, we can rant about why we live in a world where a slightly more male name means that you'll be slightly more successful. And um, trust me, we will dedicate a show to that at some point. Uh, it's almost every single show we have this rant, to be honest. What you need to focus on, though, is I just, just read quickly her little bio, and this woman kicks ass. Oh, she, she's, she's totally awesome. She's, she's, I mean, she, she just, just, she's amazing. You can always tell when an artist is so highly regarded is when other artists turn around and go, I wish I was as good as. And if all the artists that you respect adore this particular artist, then you put, you know, they're, they're probably onto something. Uh, Robin Hobb is massively well regarded. Uh, and if you've not read any of her books, then you should start. It's the short version. You shouldn't start with her latest novel, The Fool's Assassin, however, because it's part of her long-going series. Now, um, her, her broad series of books, she's done. She's, she's got a massive bibliography. But if we talk just briefly about the Fool's Assassin series, which is the one that everyone knows and a lot of people love, the Farseer trilogy, which are Assassin's Apprentice, the Royal Assassin, and the Assassin's Quest, and the Life Ship Trade, Traders trilogy, um, which are the Ship of Magic, the Mad Ship, and the Ship of Destiny, and then the Tawny Man trilogy, which is the Fool's Own, the, the Golden Fool, and Fool's, Fool's Fate. These are all, um, there's also the, another set of Life Ship books called Dragon Keeper, Dragon Haven, and City of Dragons. All of these. Are set in the same world, the world of um, a, you know, a place full of elderlings, a place full of dragons, a place full of subtle magics. Um, so, big world, big setting, mm-hmm. um, and we're finally we finally got back to um, to to fit chivalry force here. Now, the first book of of her series, the um, the Forsier trilogy, this in the Assassin's Apprentice, we met. Fitzchivalry as a young young boy, and Fitz means that he's a bastard, but it means he's a recognised bastard, and he's a recognised bastard of the Farseer line. The Farseer line are magic; they have basically magical telepathy powers. They can telepathically communicate. They can they can invest powers into things, and they have secret hidden magic powers. Um, this latest book, 
uh, events have changed, events have moved on, and he's in, she never actually quite puts an age on it, but he's in, in about his 40s, shall mm. we say. He's been happily married. Um, he's settled out into his life. He's living in a big old mansion house, uh, which is uh, in the Wivy Woods, which is slowly but surely falling apart. Um, and he's very happy with his wife called Molly. Um, and, you know, he's... The thing with Fitzgerald and the thing with the... the, the the, the entire series is they're written from first person perspective and you unlike other book series where you get lots and lots of perspectives you normally only get one or two perspectives here mm. and the thing with Fitz is Fitz is a much is he's a very negative person partially because he spent his entire life running away from things and being beaten and the setup for the series and if you think Eddie Floundering you're going everywhere with this review it's because it's such a big world and it's very hard to try and focus into one thing we have Fitz. He he. When we first met him, for those familiar with the series, he was a young man. He's since grown up. During his earlier adventures, he met a creature known as the Fool. The Fool is a tall, thin, fair being who has um, powers of prophecy, mm-hmm. and the power of them have changed the face of the world together. Since the adventures have happened, they have gone their separate ways. Fitz has gone to his reward, by which he, I mean he lives in a big rambling house with a lovely wife. Uh, he's still involved in the politics of the realm, but not so much. You know, he just gets on with his life. Then his wife, who is in her 50s, declares that she's pregnant. Ooh. Um, and Fitz, bless his heart, bless his negative opinions of the world, <laughs> bless his kind of general, general vibe to going towards the darker and more negative things, simply assumes that Molly has gone mad. <laughs> Um, not true and in fact she gives birth to a lovely child that they name B B B B E E B and B is a strange girl she is a strange little child um, very weird very strange very odd and the thing now okay so if you're a fan of the, the Farsi books and you're a fan of the Robin Hood books you're probably listening to this going okay well I'm with you so far Red what about this magic baby magic baby is fine um it fits in with the world it fits in with where we're going with the, the whole farcier range of stories it is a return form it does it is it is picked it does pick up you do like the book it is huge and it rambles oh my goodness does it bimble it sprawls everywhere much like this review it's sprawling <laughs> it goes all over the place um, there is a lot of stuff where you know he's setting up the house and he's talking to various people and the pace is really slow for the first 200 pages this is a six I mean the version I received is a 630 page book and if you're familiar with Robin Hobb you'll understand that she meanders all the way through her books but she's never boring you are totally hooked into this person's life and it's kind of to call it soap opera is to do it down <laughs> to call it a slice of life insight into a world that you will never be and a place that you've never seen to to bring your focus into this this strange world from this perspective from this strange person and all the narrators in here are horribly unreliable b is nine you know she's a nine-year-old girl with a body of a six-year-old and the mind of a 12-year-old 
she is the least reliable narrator you'll ever encounter. <laughs> Fitz is not a reliable narrator. I mean, ca- many of the characters have different perspectives and understandings of things. The various characters here, when you meet them, are through the eyes of these characters. So, for example, there's a character called Shun here. The first time we meet Shun, we think, hmm, she might be a master assassin. Second time we meet Shun, we think, oh, she's awful. <laughs> I'm sure uh, by the time we get to the second week, we'll realise that Shun has her own problems. Um, all these various characters, because the, the whole perspectives change, people's opinions of people change in, in your normal life, and so the narrative changes in perspective as the characters grow and learn and more learn more about their world. So there's that. There's also the actual main plot, which is one of prophecy, because it's a farseer book. It's one of conspiracy, because it's a farseer book. <laughs> and it's one of incredible violence and also a very firm stance against animal cruelty, because it's a farseer book by Robin Hobb. Um, it's cracking, um, I have had my nose in this book for the last three days, and frankly, my nose is now covered in ink. Uh, <laughs> I, I, You've rubbed it against the pages uh, in a sign of love and devotion. It's a return to form. It really is. The thing that made me lo- fall in love with the original series, that all these elements are present here. I am not a fan of magical children at all. You know, the golden child turns up and everything changes. I, I, I don't like that trope at all. I totally forgive it with false assassin completely and hundred <laughs> percent. Um, I like B. I like the main. I, I like the main characters as much as you can like bits because he's an ass. But <laughs> as much as you can like like these characters, I do like them. All the surprises, uh, many of the surprises, are saved to the end. Um, it's despite the fact that it's 650 pages it's so much the first part of a trilogy I want to throw it against the wall because I want to read what the next bit is and I'm going to have to wait a couple of years <laughs> darn you uh, Robin Hobb um, but yes it, it's if you're a fan then you've probably got this on pre-order at your local independent bookstore obviously <laughs> uh, if you aren't a fan then you really need to read the, the first books in the series. You could read this as standalone, I'm sure. I think you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you did mm. so. Yeah, I was just going to say, you said don't start there, start somewhere else, because obviously you're going to miss out on a lot. It's self-contained enough, and it's enough of a reboot that you can uh, pick up f- f- everywhere else. So that's fine. Mm. But I wouldn't. I really, really wouldn't. I strongly advise that you, you know... You, you so where would you start? The, the start. Um, right at the beginning. Right at the beginning of the Farseer series. Uh, go and pick up Assassin's Apprentice, uh, Royal Assassin and Assassin's Quest. You don't really need to do the live ship tr- trader series, but you sort of really should. Um, <laughs> then, you know, you know, then Fools and the Tony Man series... And then kind of skip the rest until we get to until we get to here. But providing you've read uh, Farseer and Tiny Man series, you you'll have a lot of fun here. Mm. Um, providing you, you're familiar with the character Fitzgerald, you can start from here. You can it comes out it comes out very soon. So who's it published by? It is published by HarperCollins. It comes out twelfth of August, twenty fourteen. 
so you'll have to pre-order it. I'm sorry, listener. That's a couple of months to go, people. Sorry. <laughs> There's a lot of fists in the air right now going, Fortune! How dare you? Why would you do this to us? Because I'm evil. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, 2014. She's on tour in autumn. We will try and get our hands on the lovely author. And ask us some nice questions, and we'll try and record that for you for the show. We can't make any promises because obviously she's a highly sought after author. But I, I will be, uh, I will be in groveling. Yes, that's be, the word. I'll be groveling, and I'll also be in the right part of part of the the world as well because I'll be at WorldCon this year. Woohoo! Um, so yes, part book one of the Fits in the Field, Field trilogy. It's on HarperCollins. It comes out twelfth of August, and it is twelve twenty of your English pounds for the hardback. are playing the strangest musical instrument in the world. The only instrument that is not touched by hand. You ask for it. This is Fab Radio International. Welcome back. This is the Bookworm on Fab Radio International. I'm Nympha Hayes and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Ed Fortune. Hello. And if you were listening on the Mixed Cloud or the live show, you just heard a bit of the double clicks there. If you're listening to us on iTunes, you won't have. Boo. But you can, also, you can always check them out. You can always check out the double clicks. They are lovely. You can also check out Pentonics on the uh, YouTubes. Yes. Um, that yeah. was a pretty good, pretty good cover of Radioactive. Enjoyed that. Very nice. So, so yes, you should listen to the live show unless, of course, it's like you know four o'clock in the morning where you're listening to our show. Which <laughs> uh, case you shouldn't. You should we forgive you. Yeah. We forgive you for not putting your alarm on and waking up at four a.m. to listening to us. We forgive you. <clears throat> so um, yes. So so um, guilty pleasures by Laurel K. Hamilton uh, is the first book in the Anita Blake uh, Vampire Hunter novel, and it's pretty awesome. Now, this was published in 1993 originally. Uh, you can find it at the moment under Headline Fiction Publisher. And it's pretty awesome. So what's it about? Tell me, tell me, tell me. I'll, I'll tell you what it's about. Um, it's about Anita, Anita Blake, who's um, a legal executioner, or as she's known by the vampires, the executioner. Because she's the best that so, you can get. So what does legal executioner mean? Well... In, in Anita's world, which is our world, and, and this book is a, an urban fantasy. In fact, it's arguably the book that launched this type of urban fantasy into the world that made it huge. Well, it's the commercial success that allowed Absolutely. the commercial success to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, basically, um, the world you know, now knows that there are other things apart from us. Um, and the Supreme Court has decided to grant the undead equal rights to people so they're not just you know monsters they actually have legal rights so to make sure that obviously it's all policed and all safe and all legal there is a police squad um known as the spook squad um that basically makes sure that that sort of paranormal or other than human crimes are investigated properly um and anita is an advisor for, for this police squad that deals with you know the other side of 
humanity. Um, and to make sure that obviously, um, you know, that the non-human races stay in line, um, there are legal executioners who are basically people that are highly trained and with knowledge of the um, sort of paranormal monastery world who are legally entitled to basically go and execute people that have broken the law and can't be. So let me get this right. It's legally allowed to be a vampire? Yes. So I can, I'm a vampire, I can go out, but if I kill someone because I'm hungry and I'm a vampire... This this woman will turn up and shoot me in the heart. Not necessarily. It's for those that can't be rehabilitated. It's for those that basically um, are, you know, you can't tame them. You know, there are psychopaths in human society. If you're a psychopath and you've got the strength of a hundred men and can control someone's mind, there is a high chance that there's no way that we can control you or, or you know, enclose you somewhere that we will make us safe. In that case, executioners are empowered um, with a legal document and they will go out and find this psychopath that's going around killing loads of people and not just people, you know, it could be killing other other vamps or wearers or whatever um, and they will shoot you and kill you. So this book... Started the series. This book is to kick off the series. The series itself has quite a different reputation to this book. Yes. Um, a few books in, the tone changes. I mean, uh, uh, reading the back of the first book, I don't date vampires, I kill them. That's the tag. Uh, my name is Anita Blake. Vampires call me the executioner. What I call them is unrepeatable. Uh, ever since the Supreme Court granted the undead equal rights, most people think vampires are just ordinary folks with fangs. I know better. I've seen their victims. I carry the scars. But now a serial killer is murdering vampires and the most powerful bloodsucker in town wants me to find the killer. That's that's the, 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 the basically the back of the cover blurb. Uh, and it's pretty much what's on the can she spends um throughout the first few books a lot of her energy fighting against um you know the idea that that there's a specific vampire that 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 wants her really bad um and then i'm not going to give you any spoilers but that changes um sort of halfway through the series in fact probably a bit earlier than that and it does go into a lot of sexual exploits within the books so much so that a lot of fans were a bit let down and some of the books aren't well respected and don't do I think the ju- the, the, the actual concept and the story's justice so it's like you've got some you know the first five six books seven books are really good and the plots are really good. They're all thrillers. They can be quite gory and quite graphic uh, in terms of blood and splattering guts and things like that. You know, these are... They are monsters. You know, there are... Some of these creatures are the monsters that, you, you know, you have nightmares about. Um, and there's no watering that. And then all of a sudden, you know, she's she's in love and things change. Uh, I have heard, I've only read the first six books so far, um, and I've enjoyed all of them immensely. Um, but lately, apparently the last couple of books have gotten back into the right track, whereas Anita's back focusing on what she does best, which is kill the bad guys. If memory serves, the first book is solidly a thriller, really, isn't it? It, it is really. It's an urban fantasy thriller with heavy paranormal lines. But the beauty of it is the society that's created. And obviously, this first book sets a really 
great foundation for what the world is and, and, and how things function in this world. Um, it's, it's amazingly well written. So if I was a fan of paranormal thrillers, I like kind of Kolchak Night Starker style, Journey into the Strange, vampire hunting mm. tales. I'm a fan of Buffy, but I'm not a fan of smut. Read Where- the first five, maybe six books before it gets to the to the you know m- more sex heavy part of of the series because they are really good the plots are really good the creatures that that she introduces within the world you know the they're not they're not you know um love interests these are hard hard cold cold killers you know um some of the characters are literally just killers and 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 it works really well and and the way that she reacts and and the point of view of Anita is it's amazingly accurate she's done obviously a lot of research i mean the, the author has a lot of experience with with guns and 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 you know she shoots and things like that so so a lot of the technical side is quite accurate so if i'm a fan of um would you say it's low brow horror would you say it's a low brow horror um I wouldn't call it a lowbrow. I would say it's a horror. You know, there are heavy elements of horror. Um, there are scenes that you think, "Oh my god, this is terrifying." Uh, there's no way that this is going to end well. Um, and it's very well written, and she does it really, really well. Um, I mean, I'm I'm a fan of of sexy scenes. I don't mind, so I'm looking forward to seeing how she does it. I've read other things by Laura K. Hamilton that are heavy on the sexual side and it's absolutely fine. I, I have to confess I've read all the way up to, I think, Obsidian Butterfly. Yeah. Which has um, a lot of sex. Mm. Lots of shape-shifting sex. Yes. It's quite... I, you'll forgive me, listener, but it's sticky in places. Um, <laughs> okay. And... And my my memory serves. I believe it goes. It essentially it goes. It builds up slowly, but surely, and then it kind of one of the books. I think five or six. It, it, there's no sex at all. Yeah. Uh, this, and, and it's yeah. a bit disturbing. Actually, there's a bit of the the you know, the, the kind of the, the sexual violence, but there's no sex. Yeah. And then you're like, Gah! and then she kind of the pace changes, the tone changes. And it's mm-hmm. like a different series entirely. Mm-hmm. It. I mean. I've read the first six books. I'm up to... Um, I'm between the Killing Dance and Burnt Offerings at the moment. Is Burnt Offerings the one with the other vampire hunter? Or is it Killing Dance? I haven't gotten to that part yet. Uh, but there are lo- loads of different sort of vampire hunter quote uh, sort of characters. Um, but yeah, I- I'm, I'm up to basically the big twist in the series whereas the pace starts to change I think and let's face it because the first few books are are quite intense as you said there's quite a lot of sexual theme violence but there isn't actual sex yeah. and then so it's it's a building 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 and then at one point there's a twist and it and it changes pace I, I, I would have thought you know people would have seen it coming but apparently because the plot sort of the the actual plot took a, sec, a step back from the emotional and physical 
sort of plot revolving around Anita as a person, a lot of people were like, well, no, I want less of that and more of the like stories revolving I, around I, there. I think the reason it gets so many mixed reviews from other sources mm. is because the change of pace is so different. It changes, it, it yeah. jumps genre. Yeah. Um, it goes, you know, it goes from, it's like, it, it's like you're watching Star Wars and then the fourth, it's like if the new Star Wars movie was set in the fantasy world with dragons. <laughs> I mean, it still had lightsabers, but you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of dig it, but what? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I can't comment because I haven't gotten to that change just yet. I can see it coming and obviously from hearing people, I know it's coming, but because I've read her Mary Gentry series and absolutely adore it. Smart. Shh. <laughs> yeah, my husband calls it my, my fairy porn. I think it's brilliant. I, I personally love it. And it's, it's, you know, Mary's a very different character to Anita. But I, I don't know whether at one point she needed perhaps to separate those stories and that's how Mary was born and took that away from Anita because Anita went down that line and people kind of didn't recognise her anymore. Again, just, you know speculating because I haven't gotten to the big change in the books just yet um, but if you read Guilty Pleasures and you enjoy urban fantasy and you like a big touch of horror and thriller and a really good and well paced action story you will really enjoy it what other books would be on that bookshelf if you had Guilty Pleasures and you were putting them next to each other by a theme what um, other books would be on that bookshelf in my bookshelf there would be Guilty Pleasures there would be Bitten by Kelly Armstrong um, there would be possibly some Karen chants, you know, it's that kind of style. Uh, although for me, it's a little bit more heavy on the gore and and the horror side than perhaps Bitten was. Yum yum yum. But it is it is that type and that style, and that's I think where her strength lies in the Anita Blake series. Um, you know, it's it's a very good thriller with a fantastic pace, loads of action. Loads of gory bits, loads of interesting insights in, in, in that type of society and that world. And I think people would enjoy it. Pick it up. And uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about the fault in our stars and why it's so popular. Embrace the alternative. This. This. Is Fab Radio International. Want to tone up, lose weight, and make new friends? Start the hottest and sexiest workout you will find. Join the millions of women who've discovered pole dancing for fitness. We offer pole fitness, aerial hoop, silks, trapeze, burlesque, and boot camp, and so much more. Pole Sessions is the largest and best equipped studio in Manchester. Take a look at all that we can offer. PoleSessions.co.uk. That's PoleSessions.co.uk. Silent Radio, on the radio, bringing you the best gigs in Manchester and the best music from everywhere else. 3 till 5 every Saturday afternoon on Fab Radio.
across the world, the real alternative, FabRadioInternational.com. Embrace the alternative with Fab Radio. So, in case you've been asleep, um, you <laughs> may have noticed that there is a new movie out called The Fault in All Stars. Uh, and it's inspired by a book by this guy called John Green. Not Jonathan Green. John Green. Um, there's several John Greens out there. Uh, John Green is a vlog brother. Um, he's on YouTube. He's a famous YouTuber. And, um, yeah, okay. An invert. Uh, do, do you know do, do you know John Green at all? I haven't read any of his books. I know everything about this one simply by reading Facebook and Twitter and, and listening to some of my bookish friends talk. Um, it doesn't appeal to me. I'm going to be really controversial. It's a really strange phenomenon, though, because I was looking at some of the, the less positive reviews of the book. Hmm. And you know that thing you get with Twilight that, that kind of really annoys a certain sort of book reader where it's nothing to do with the book it's the fact that as soon as you say I don't like it 40 strangers leap onto you and go <laughs> how dare you the thing is The Fault in the Stars is about cancer mm-hmm. so instead of instead of the how dare you you don't understand what it's like to be in love response that you'd get with Twilight you get how dare you you, you are you, you hate cancer victims really? Yeah, it's it's this weird phenomenon that's built up around, and and John Green has very quiet, kindly, you know, and very patiently said, "Please don't do that." <laughs> but it, I, I wouldn't think it would be the point of the book. I mean, it's, it, it's it sounds like an inspirational book about you know fighting for life and love and the things that really matter when you know that you might not see tomorrow. It's it's a remix of Star-Crossed <laughs> Lovers, but instead of duels and you know instead of dueling and cities and that sort of thing, it's the hospitals and cancer. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's 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 no there's no dueling blades. There's no poison kissed upon a lips. It's all medical monitor well yeah it's 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 a real life sort of story you know it's, it's modern fiction but it's one of those things that is why why has it developed such a cult why has it developed it's good yeah it's a solid book but why why has this phenomenon just sprung up around one particular set what what makes the fault in our stars different from all the other you know well, why didn't we say this with the lovely bones Oh, different! Really, well, the Lovely Bones is a hard book to read. I mean, it's 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 certainly inspiring, but in a very different way. As far as I can see, and this comes from a place where I haven't read the book, I haven't watched the movie, I only know what I know because I've listened to people and I've Mm. read some reviews because you know it's part of my job. Um, But the thing is, it's it's a love story which always inspires. It's two young people, and it's it's an instance in life where us, you know, you you can't. It's almost a Romeo and Juliet where the bad guys just this illness that's tearing them apart, and that speaks to the heart, and that's that's the core of it. It speaks to people's hearts. You know, it's real, and you can you can relate to it so easily because everyone's had someone in their life whereas they're not well you know it could be a beloved auntie or or a brother a sister a lover you know everyone's had that and everyone can feel it i think i think what's happening here is we have a well-written novel that's gained a lot of publicity that has a movie coming out out about it 
um, about a subject that everyone can relate to because everyone knows someone who's been affected by cancer. And then you have, and I horribly, horribly don't want to sound condescending, but you have an audience where most people read two or three books a year. You know, they, most people, you know, you know we, we, we are gluttons. Oh, we are, yeah. I, and most of our listeners are also gluttons. And most people read a handful of books ongoing just because they don't have the time or, you know, they're tired or whatever. So when they read this one book, it has an impact on them of because course. it's a powerful book. They don't have it to come, they, 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 they can't sit there and compare it to the other eight books. You know, they won't have read his other novels, they won't have read Paper Town, they won't have read the rest of his stuff. So they don't, you know, so the impact is possibly more keen. So as soon as someone says, actually, I didn't like it. Rather than saying, "Well, well, where do you get that from?" Yeah, they just assume that because everyone assumes that everyone else is like themselves. True. So they just assume that they they read it with a cold heart. <laughs> and no and one has a cold heart. And, and, and must you know there must be something wrong with the reviewer rather than the review. And a lot of the reviews that have been negative about the Fallen Our Stars tend to come tend to compare it to other works. Um, you know, tend to compare it to his contemporaries and just say, oh, it's a bit too much like Paper Town, it's a bit too much like this, it's a bit, mm. you, know, the, the, you know, the elements are a little bit too easy. So it's, it's an interesting phenomenon, and it goes back to the Twilight thing as well, where we always say the reason that a lot of Twilight fans get so phenomenally angry about people being critical is because their, their reading base is not broad enough. Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I'm, I'm not quite sure that's true because I know. I mean, a lot of people in, in the Bookaholics Book Club, for example, can read fifty, a hundred books a year. I'm talking hardcore readers, and a lot of them love Twilight. Some of them probably because it was the book that introduced them or reintroduced them into reading in the first place, and a lot of them loved the Fault in Our Stars. I just think. It's a nice story. It speaks to people's hearts. It obviously inspires them. And that's all there is to it. You should go and see the movie and decide for yourself. You should read, read the, the book, book first and then watch the movie and then decide for yourself. It's not, it doesn't appeal to me. But not because, you know, it's not an amazing story or whatever. It's simply because I'm not into modern contemporary. We're running out of time. Boo! I want to talk some more. But yeah, that, that's my point of view. I probably won't watch it because of that. Uh, it's goodbye from me, and next week I might be reading The Last Dragon. Oh, it's goodbye from me, and next week I might be reading a song by Francis Harding. Uh, once again, if you can catch us uh, on station social media for Fab Radio International at Twitter and Facebook, the Bookworm social media on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, all of them are the Radio Bookworm. Listen again later on Mixcloud or iTunes. Please like, subscribe, and follow us. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International. Presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes. Produced by A.L. Johnson.